With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Community's Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 556. My name is Eric Nelson. And with me today, I have my regular co-host, Corey Romero. Not so regular, actually. Today is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. Corey Romero, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. The weather here in Utah has finally reached in the 80s for several days haven't had snow in over a week i'm doing great how are you eric i'm doing great i'm doing great it is sunny kind of windy today sunny and windy in the bay area so uh and a little bit chilly so we had some blustery wind last week and this week it's continuing so the bay area is dark green and choppy because we've got some wind and a little bit of chilliness here on the show today i'm excited because we have michael roy back he is product line manager for fusion workstation and so forth uh we're going to be talking about fusion on m1 which uh, i'm a big arm kind of guy anyway so i think this will be a fun podcast stay tuned mike thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me all right Let's do some news. Uh, you know, again, we're still in the glow of Raghu Raghavaran being our CEO. Corey, I'm super excited about that, uh, as is everybody here. Um, VM World call for papers. I think they closed. I think they closed last Friday, so, and I haven't heard they've extended it or not. I should go look that up during the podcast. Uh, but the call for papers they went in. They are closed. They are closed. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that, Tony. Um, so if you got them in, good. You, we will notify speakers on June 21. Uh, I know that V Brownbag is still doing call for tech talks. So if you want to do a PowerShell session or for VMware code, or you want to do a, just a, any kind of session, a V Brownbag session, reach out to Alistair Cook on v, v Brownbag. You can Google him. He's got a call for papers up for VMworld. We're going to have a community booth going on live 24 by 7 the show this year so you can drop in be in chat engage with us uh alistair cook's going to be live streaming every 30 minutes so it's going to be very much like the community booth that we typically have at the at the conference we're going to be doing that live uh all for two days and so look for a you go submit a a paper uh, we're going to get those papers listed in schedule builder like we always do and so if you missed call for papers for the main event you can still do a v brown bag paper get that into alistair i think he's going to close up in uh late june so we have maybe another six to seven weeks to get that in in order to make the schedule uh, the schedule builder deadline um and let's see of course vmworld 2021 october 5th through the 7th so uh, I don't think Reg is open yet, but we'll let you know when it is. Corey Romero, what's new with the VExpert program? Yeah, so uh, VExpert 2021 second half applications are kicking off. So um, they're going to open June 7th and they're going to close July 9th. So a little bit over over uh, a month you'll have to, uh, to go in and do your application. Um, we're going to announce the results on August 13th. But something new that we've done for uh, 2021 this year, and we just kicked them off, 
um, last week. So you have the ability to go in as an applicant now to one of our Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups and speak with the vExpert Pro directly online and get feedback on your application before we even know it on the application. So um, you go to blogs.vmware.com slash vexpert. You can read all about it. You can read about the Facebook groups, how to find the Facebook group, how to find the LinkedIn group, what it's for. Introduce yourself to the pros. The pros will introduce themselves to you. You can receive that feedback on your application. They'll go over exactly what you need to do, what you might be missing, what you might need to change or add. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it this year. And this is uh, something, like I said, something brand new we've done. And uh, I'm excited to excited to see where we go with it. Yeah, that's awesome. I got to tell you, you know, I've been doing a lot of blog work lately on the blogs.vmware.com and we have the affiliate blog link and uh, spend a lot of time on people's blogs. And I know we've had a lot of bloggers in here on the show. Got to say, I'm super impressed with everything that everybody writes these days. The whole program has really helped people become really good bloggers and evangelists. So good job. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we need some. We need a soundtrack. So if you want, you can go check us out on uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube.com/vbarbecue. Uh, you'll get to see Michael and what he looks like and his studio in the background. Right, run some music. Uh, we've talked to him about maybe remastering our opening jingle, and you know he said he's on he's on board for that. So without further ado, we don't have any no, uh, uh, other news. So let's talk to Michael Rowe. Michael, we always do the one minute elevator pitch. Who are you? How long you been at VMware? Everybody should know this by now. What do you work on? And then we'll get into some Fusion Workstation stuff. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, guys. Much appreciated. It's always a pleasure spending lunchtime chatting with you, folks. Um, yeah, Michael Roy, going on year 12 at VMware now, as of uh, coming up in June here. Uh, I started actually running the Fusion and Workstation support team over in Burlington, Canada. So I'm a Canadian expat. I currently live just outside of San Francisco. Um, where it's super windy, like I live in like the wind corridor of the peninsula. It's, you know, where it's windy in the bay, it's triple windy here. Um, so yeah, I've been managing Fusion and Workstation since 2015. I did like technical marketing and stuff for vCloud Air before that. And I, before VMware, I ran like data centers. I did systems, uh, Linux systems and stuff. So I'm an open source Linux kind of guy through and through. I've got my Kubernetes contributor hoodie on here, supporting the, representing the crew. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite the journey. Very, very nice. Yeah, I know we were just talking about the fact that uh, Raghu, you know, was named CEO. And uh, I have an interesting story that I've mentioned that Raghu, I, he was a hiring manager uh, when we came in, uh, when I came to VMware from Sun Microsystems. And so I worked on his team, went to his staff meetings. I've loved him. I've loved him ever since he ran tech marketing back when I worked over in tech marketing. So and I know you have a story, a Raghu story as well. Yeah, Raghu's good people. We've we've crossed paths a bunch of times over the years. Um, when he started at VMware, he was one of the product managers for what was, you know, what became Workstation at the time. It was just, you know, VMware for Linux, I think, when when he probably came in. But um, but yeah, he's always had an ear open and 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 eager to talk about all things on the desktop. You know, his office has been open very um, pointedly. Like I can just, you know, email him. He knows. You know, who I am if I, if I tap him on the shoulder and whatnot. But uh, he introduced me to Mendel and Michael from some of the, the original founders when we had our 20-year anniversary um, festivities thing at, on campus there a couple of years back, uh, which was really nice just to, you yeah, know, the product fun. managers for the product just sort of sh sharing war stories. Uh, it, was, it was really exciting. But he's got, you know, there's a, a place in his heart for Workstation and Fusion, and I, you know, I think that's really great for the, uh, the product group going forward. 
Yeah, yeah. I have similar stories like that. Whenever you go into Raku, I think when we were doing VMware code and trying to figure out DevOps and where does code sit and that, and uh, we went and chatted with him in his office and he's just like the most level-headed step back think about the problem not it's kind of like coaching right he doesn't tell you yes or no right and he certainly had the authority to do so at the time but he doesn't tell you yes or no he gives you things to think about right and and then lets you help you make a good decision right and just gives you smart thoughts and uh and i love that about him right like he's just that that kind of guy right i think that that's what that's a, a very good characteristic for a, a good leader i mean it's 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 not about you know cutting the grass, it's about teaching everybody how to use the lawnmower, right? And, and trusting that they're going to do it on their own. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. And and Pat was a super extrovert, great guy. But if you went to Pat and asked him something, he was going to coach you. He was going to give you an answer, right? Or at least every couple times I've engaged with him, he's just very much going to give you an answer, which is another style. I like it as well. I love love Pat for that, for that reason. I love that he's over in Intel. <laughs> But I'm really super excited about as a software company having a software guy there that completely gets it. I'm ex I'm excited, and he gets the cloud services, but he also understands data center. So yeah, really excited about that. All right, enough about him, and enough uh, enough about our history uh, having worked for him for such a long time here. Um, so uh, exciting news. We we talk about like maybe we should talk about the industry and ARM. We're going to talk about fusion on ARM. Do we do we do we do we just open with fusion and ARM, or do we talk about Arm first. How do you want to? How do you want to approach it? I mean, I'm good either way. Uh, you know, our, our our announcements have already all been made, so there's nothing, yeah. nothing, no spoilers coming out today. Oh, cool. So then, then I'll then I'll talk about Arm first, right? Like, which is which is okay. So Mac is going to Arm, right? You know, or you know, and the, obviously Raspberry Pi mm -hmm. has been Arm, and iPhones have been Arm, and now as we saw PowerPC shift to Intel back when Steve Jobs took over Apple, uh, you know. Back then, now we're seeing them just go into iPhone ARM. What do you, what's your impression of ARM in general, and what do you think of this? Well, I've been using Raspberry Pis for a couple of years. You know, I I did a Christmas project a couple of years ago, and I built an arcade machine for my nephew, and you know, using an RPi3. Yeah. And uh, you know, rat, uh, you know, all the, the emulators and whatnot, and it was a great project and and easy to work with with the family together because I was getting to work on the Raspberry Pi and getting Linux installed and doing all that stuff, getting the games ready. And then my dad and my sister were like building the cabinet and like, you know, doing all the finishing and stuff because they, they're carpentry type, they work with their hands. So right. it worked really great in that respect. So, I mean, I got a lot of respect for the ability to take that power of a computer and shrink it into a thing the size of a credit card. It's, 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 it's incredible. Um, you know, ARM rules the world already. I mean, the your iDevices, your app, your Android devices, they, they've been there for a long time. But what's awesome is it's finally giving you that like performance per watt ratio where it makes more sense to have them in desktops now than it did before. You know, like, yeah, you could run forever on battery, but your performance, you know, wasn't all that great up yeah. until a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden iPhones are surpassing desktops and Geekbench scores. And it's like, well, wait a minute, that's that's a, that's a huge game changer. And they can do it on all day battery life. So seeing Apple bring that to the desktop and seeing what they can do with an architecture like that, that they can add their innovation layers on top of, um, you know, I think it's, if, if nothing else, it's a testament to what's possible with this type of chip. And, yeah. uh, and I think that, you know, as much as I think it's awesome that Intel's got Pat, they've got some work ahead of them to try and compete in this space. 
Yeah. Do we think that enough of the app vendors are going to then move over like a League of Legends from Riot Games, right? It only runs on Windows PC, right? Like a x86. It's an x86 app, right? Like I think they have it on Mac and PC, but it's like it's x86. And one of the things to me that rescued Apple at the time when Steve Jobs took over is he did go to Intel because there is such a huge, you know, Intel following, right? Um do we think there's enough momentum in cloud services and apps that that they can make the arm on the desktop compete against x86 application space? I think it depends on the applications. Like, I don't think I'm going to I don't think you're going to see like folks porting crisis over to arm, you know, for example. Right. Um, maybe, maybe give it some time, maybe going forward a little bit. But I think that right now, like desktop you know, the, the master, PC master race is Intel AMD with NVIDIA AMD GPUs. And right. Games Done. are going to be optimized right. for that because that same platform can be ported onto um, Xbox, PlayStation, not Wii, but, or whatever, and a Switch right. and, and whatnot. But but it's portable, and that's sort of one of the benefits of it. Yeah, Xbox, from what I understand, actually runs the thing in a hypervisor, um, the operating system. That's how it can do some of the maintenance stuff without it feeling like a computer. So... Um, I think that if you end up with things like Unreal Engine and and um, Unity and know, the, some other stuff, yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Once they get to the ability where you can like write once and then just like change a compile flag and it'll make it for both platforms, if it's that easy for a developer to do it, then then you'll see that happen. But until until then, as long as there's like this huge hurdle to port everything over to the quirkiness that ARM has versus the quirkiness that Intel has. Um, I don't think that you're going to see like mainstream AAA titles like games. That right. said, uh, I definitely see that the, the, there will be a market there for um, a whole range of everything else. Yeah. You know, productivity apps. I think that augmented reality is starting to come out a lot more. So you're seeing apps that like require some type of integration with a camera and, and, and LADAR sensors, LIDAR sensors and things like that. So, um, and you can't do that with like a laptop. You need to have a tablet form factor. Right. Uh, to sort of those things really worthwhile as far as a user experience goes. And so that's, and, that's what I think the innovation is going to happen. Yeah, and certainly um, from an Apple perspective, right? The fact that they got iPhone apps and they got a, you know, they got the uh, the i the application store that's got a bazillion apps for iPhone, which is all ARM compiled. That being able to make that uh, application base just automatically run on their desktop, you know, without any translator emulators. Really, you know, that's they've got an advantage there, right? Because of the iPhone I think apps. there's a slight advantage there. It's it's not as you know, I would say that it's not quite as rosy a picture as it's painted right now. Like having gone going through right now the exercise of building a Swift project, Swift UI using the latest greatest everything, trying to build a project that runs on you know Mac OS and iPad, for example. Right. Um, the same code doesn't do the same thing on both platforms. You have to accommodate either or and. Um, you still end up sort of having to handle all of that. And and so it's not quite there yet, but but there's certainly a lot further now than they ever were. Um, but I do also think that the paradigm of like running a random iOS app like uh, on the Mac, it's pretty gimmicky from what I've been seeing. At first it made big headlines and a lot of folks like, oh, this is so cool. But like how often are you opening up Instagram on your Mac, right? right. Like it's, it's just, they're, they're totally different use cases. The interfaces are designed to have that tactile your responsiveness. So I think that where where you're going to see the advantage going forward is being able to develop a single code base, single library set, and then have different UI implementations for uh, for the yeah. device that it's on. One of the things that, that that strikes me though is it there could be an issue where kind of like Java where they try to do too much, 
right? Um, you know, where you yeah, have bad like, apps they have the concept, right? you're, you're exactly right. They have the concept of, of write once, run anywhere. And I don't think that iOS and macOS and tvOS and all that is the same thing. It's it's all about, you know, yeah, there's shared libraries, but you really want to, you really want to cururate the experience. Right. And that requires, you know, care. And, so this really just could be margin, a margin play for Apple, right? Where, you know, because they own the M1 chip or they're building the, the ARM chip themselves or not, not they don't have their fab, but they, they architect it, that then they can just scale the chip and they don't have to pay Intel a license of, you know, hundred bucks per, per platform now. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if the licensing cost ends up, they still have to pay ARM for their, for their licenses, right? Which, you know. Yeah, but I, I, I think it's Nvidia. But you're totally right yeah, that yeah. I think having the M1 chip in an iPad, in an iMac, in a MacBook, in a Mac Mini, in a MacBook Pro, the same chip. When when you run all the benchmarks, they're basically the same. What what I think Apple is saying is like needs and speeds are not things that most people should be concerned about. What you should care about is like is this the right device for the use case that you're trying to solve for, and you know what's that experience end to end feel like. And if they have a single chip then they know that they can control that experience very succinctly and at the same time you get benefits of scale by you know stamping that same chip out into eight devices instead of having eight variants of the same chip in each device yeah uh tony foster mentions that uh, nvidia did buy uh arm so that also yeah. might help you know compatibility with if, if nvidia the, is the actually, yeah the deal hasn't closed yet but you're you're right Oh, that is true. I haven't followed whether they close that deal. All right, so that's kind of where the industry is, right? And now, now we come to yeah, VMware and ARM, right? So we'll spend a little time there. Most people, you know, like you say, we've made these announcements. ESX uh, on on ARM, we've done that. Uh, now we're doing Fusion on ARM. So take us through. Well, I guess before we do that. I assume you have an M1 laptop floating around somewhere. Have you used one of these guys? What's your impression of it? I'm talking to you right now on one. Oh, excellent! Right, so you're yeah. you're, you're um, in. You're I'm, on. I'm all in. Yeah. Um, I uh, I've I've uh, up, uh, updated most of my workflow. Um, there's a few things that are still not entirely there, um, but most apps that I use are are basically there. The holdouts were like things that are based on Electron, which Electron is like almost there, and there there aren't things I could I could have gone without, like GitHub Desktop. Really enjoy having the the UI and the sort of separation of like, here's my code changes and here's my commit status. Um, having those as two separate worlds is nice for me. So they only just released their beta version of the ARM uh, M1 support just a couple weeks ago or something. So that's basically it. Uh, other than, of course, virtualization, but I'm, uh, I'm in a special category where I, where I have that and other folks don't. <laughs> right, you're, 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 you're getting there. So, so we announced Fusion on ARM. Uh, what's, hmm. what's the roadmap? I haven't paid attention. Is it, is it out? Is it in dev? Is it, an, is it a fling? Well, how, what do we announce? Yeah. So you know, we announced in like November that we were going to do this. Uh, we made the commitment to do it. And it's, it's been a long, it's been a bit of a haul since then. Um, it's a lot of work. It, it, it seems like it's something that would just, oh, you just changed the flag from x86 to ARM and it works. Or why don't you just use the Rosetta technology? Shouldn't your app just work? You know, and it's not that easy. Uh, so like each component within the virtual stack, we have to update and support. And, and sometimes that's easy. And sometimes, you know, things behave differently and we need to adjust. And so as we've been uncovering things or things that we don't know until we like uncover it and then, ooh, like this is a big nothing burger and you uncover another thing. And it's like, oh, this is six weeks of engineering work or, or something. So that, that's why we've been a little hesitant with timelines. So we came out in November and said, you know, we're going to go ahead and do it. And then, you know, 
the end devices came out, Parallels released a version of, uh, you know, their desktop product that's got support for it within it. And we've been, you know, look, taking a look at that a little bit, uh, mostly just to compare and to see how far along we are, they, because yeah, we came right. out and said, you know, we're going to be ready before the end of the year. And, you know, looking at our performance, I, I'm, I think we were very much um, underestimating how far along we actually were. Uh, I don't think it's going to be December when we, you know, get this thing out. But the intention is to issue a public tech preview, and then after that, we'll have our, um, you know, a G8 date at some point. We're not really supposed to, can't infer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not allowed to talk about that. Yeah, right, right. But do you think, yeah. in the grand scale, you know, that saying it was this year was uh, a long line? You expect it probably sooner than that. Yeah, I mean, in the past, what we've typically done, the schedule that we try to keep to is uh, in alignment with WWDC, which is Apple's developer conference, which happens in June, I think. And so they release a new version of the operating system. It's got some changes in it. We do some changes internally to try and accommodate that. And then we issue a tech brief. Um, I'm hoping that we can keep that same cadence this year. Nice. Yeah, that would, that, would, that would be good. So so you got it. Um, just talk a little bit about the M1 machine. Is it only on the low ends? Is it only on the the, the 13 inch uh, and the Air? What are, what are they on it? What do they release? Yeah, so you've got them on the MacBook Air. Um, the old form factors of the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro uh, 13 inch and 13, the okay. uh, Mac Mini. And then you've got the newly released uh, iMac, which has, you know, the same chip in it, but it's got a whole new, you know, design. Uh, looks great. Haven't haven't seen the iMac yet, but the um, I, don't, I don't think I, I will need to bother. Uh, it's the same M1 chip. I don't have to so much worry about having one of everything because right. they're all. We can expect them to sort of behave the same from a development perspective. Yeah, from a dev they're perspective. Fast. I mean, they, yeah. the, the the thing. The one thing I could take away is these things are just they're stupid fast and they last all day on battery. Um, I you know even me working with VMs and like really exercising you know the the internal builds of fusion that we have to try and break it as much as i can um this thing just does not slow down i mean i can just i'm i the screenshot the, that i put in the blog i had eight vms running at the same time each vm had four cores eight gigs of ram um, this is an eight core 16 gig of ram machine and i was installing new operating systems while the other ones were running benchmarking tests and they were all just going going it was just i couldn't believe it i thought something was broken i'm like did we you know like should i be running this many vms is something in a crash and i it just it's it's been fantastic so the holdouts right now are like tools um because we ship tools through our linux vendor partner programs um those need to be in place to have a, a great experience so we need to ship upstream get them into kernels mainlined get them shipped back down into app repositories so that they can be installed without having to build them from source. Right now, if you have like x86 ARM, you can just you get pull the OpenVM tools, build it, and it'll just build, um, you know, it just works. So so that's been a, a, a blessing, but getting it into the distributions and getting it downstream is, is where a lot of the work's gotta go. That's the operating uh, system just, distributions that run in the VMs, is that what you're talking about? Right, right. exactly, yeah. So like Ubuntu, you know, Red Hat, Fedora, all those, right? They, right. They, they consume the open source packages that we deliver, which provide all the drivers and tools that you need for ESX and, and, and Fusion and Workstation. And they get baked into the operating systems themselves. So you can install it after the fact, uh, and that's a, there's a separate, there's a delta of some features that are available that are proprietary that weren't available in the OpenVM tools. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of 
Delta there anymore, other than like it was like graphic driver. Now the uh, the something to do with the host guest file system chair. So so Corey Romero, um, I know you're looking, you're sitting here, and I'm thinking that these guys, the the the, the M1 from Apple are like a hundred dollars or hundred and fifty dollars cheaper than the, their their x86 counterpart getting back to the license or whatever maybe it's just cheaper cheap or apple's just trying to go after market and they're giving you a discount on the on the machine but i think that with an m1 air so the, the problem with the apple air is that it was pretty light from a cpu perspective but let's assume that michael's right and they and the, and the m1 chip is actually really high performance like your iphone you know eight core the thing is a beast right my iphone 11 is a beast so assuming that and you can pick one of these airs up for like 800 dollars or eight you know like they're, they're relatively cheap the m1s we could give a couple of these away at vmworld this year right to get people to come to the community booth because when you get under you know 900 it becomes in the realm of giving some of these things away right don't you think yeah absolutely that would be uh that'd be some Cool. So, Michael, we're talking about tech preview. I just had a question about: Is there a way that you can fit in the experts to help test them and stuff? I don't know if you're having run any betas on this or what you're doing, but uh, if we could fit the experts into this somewhere, that would be fantastic. I think that that would be a great idea. Actually, I hadn't thought about that previously. Um, I think one of the so what will be good is leveraging a something that's maybe not quite ready for full public tech preview that the V experts might mm -hmm. be okay with, like building tools from source, if that's okay, right? right. Uh, I would expect yeah. the experts to be V and experts. So yeah, I think we can we can look into that, absolutely. Excellent, so yeah, we have a meeting next week and uh, I'll, we'll talk about that some more in that meeting. Sounds yeah, up. yeah, I like that. Uh, you know, we've been looking at me, in my household, the M1s, right? Trying to think about wh whether we wanna get, go down this road or not. And I kind of push back, cause I'm like, no, Pat's hit Intel now. It's gonna get better. Everything's gonna be better. <laughs> but if you look at the horsepower, what you're saying is, yeah, that's what I was also worried about is the M1 chip up to it, right? Like, you know, you know will it run a full desktop? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I love my MacBook Air. Like I've, I've wanted a MacBook Air for the longest time because I really like the form factor, but I've never, been able to because I need the performance, right? Like right. I, my other machine is the, you know, an eight core i9. My machine beside me here is an iMac Pro, like with 16 cores. Like I need those cores. But this thing it hasn't slowed. I have not, it it doesn't slow me down <laughs> at, at any any spot. It's it's stupid fast. So okay, but now the, now we have thing though is like I, I will just add too, it's so fast that you know users want they want to run all the x86 apps on it and they want to have this really fast device that also runs their you know old school windows app and, and whatnot but the emulation on it is um is something that we're just not gonna not gonna look into doing uh, a lot of folks really wanted us to deliver x86 operating systems on the m device and you know it's having been using them myself for a little bit using you know emulation apps nobody wants this this is a really awful experience I, I could see where it's there's some benefit in things like um, cross compiling uh, architectures for like container images and things like that. Um, but from a usability perspective, I mean, I don't know. I just want to run only ARM apps on this thing, and that's they run just so amazing. Why would you want to slow it down trying to run? You know, it's like having a pickup right. truck being 
towed along yeah. by a semi. <laughs> that that never worked when when they were doing PowerPC to, to x86. If you if you lived in that space, they had emulators and they were just junk, right? Like they just it wasn't worth it. It's not worth it. You can make it work, right? But it just wasn't worth your time. Yeah, there's solutions out there that can scratch the niche for right. folks that have that itch. But from a right. building a business perspective, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to justify the because like it, it would be a huge amount of engineering effort to do x86. It would take us a year, maybe two, to get it to the point where we're happy with it. And in two years, I mean, Apple devices are there's not going to be any Intel ones left that Apple sells. So, I mean, yeah, that was my app? next. That was one of one of my questions. So, has Apple announced when they're just going to end of life doing the x86? I know you can still buy the x86 um, machines, even the 13, uh, but they're like 150 dollars more than the than the M1s now. Um, but they still have them. But have they announced when they're going to stop making them? They said they would continue to support them for a few years. Which, if you sort of you know can read between the lines, uh, what I would expect is all new devices are going to be M devices. The existing devices that are Intel-based will continue to get Mac OS updates for a few more years, probably as long as enterprise, an enterprise support agreement would be. Right. Uh, well, they're still selling. Five years. They're still selling the x86 machines as well. Right. You could still buy them. Right. But maybe sure. to your point, they're not going to engineering any new new machines. You can buy what they've already they're already manufacturing. Right. But they probably right. won't do any new versions of those machines with x86 CPUs. Maybe the right. maybe the 16 inch for another gen, but that's about it. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out. But it sounds like they're. Yeah, I don't. Even, I don't even think they'll do another 16 inch. I think the next MacBook Pro will be a heavily cored M device. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they want to move forward. They don't want to move backwards. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, they want to move forward at the expense of breaking backwards. Right. Yeah. As Apple always does. Right. That's just what they do. Uh, now, the shelf life of machines, it turns out it's only like maybe three to five years. So it's, it, it goes pretty quick. You can make I know about that. I mean, my MacBooks have always given me at least seven years of life. I run, yeah, I I run on my two my 13 because it's got a Photoshop license on it, and I don't want to have to upgrade to my 15 newer machine. And so I, and it's 2011, and I still every time I need to do Photoshop, I I have it running. So it's well really now hard. that machines have you know solid states are everything has a solid state whether it's an S regular SSD yeah. or an M2 device or whatever. That's the bottleneck of most folks' speed. So. Yeah, devices are going to last a lot harder or a lot longer, and the hardware that Apple makes is top shelf, so it's not going to, you know, you're not going to have the same like plastic wear that you have on old older laptops where you, the wrists, you know, groove in because you're you're on them so much. I just googled uh, Photoshop on N1 and M1, and they have it, so it's it's out. So once I have that, uh, now I have to go pay the license. I don't think I can go. I don't think I can go Pirate Bay, a hacked version of Photoshop for N1 yet. But give people time. I'm sure it'll be out there. But uh, Creative Cloud's a good deal. Yeah, it is a good deal. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, if you get Photoshop and you have, you know, browsers and Firefox and these guys, uh, then you're pretty much in business and clearly you're live streaming right now. No problems. Right. And, uh, working, working good, which is interesting that even these uh, HTML5 web services apparently are not architect architectural specific, right? They just, they're just, they're able to handle it. Right. No problems. Right. So. The, the joys of the abstraction of a web browser. 
Yeah. All right. So um, anything interesting in the M1 project you see from a technology perspective? Like we haven't talked about new versions of Fusion, so we can step back from M1 a little bit and just go say, hey, what's up with the uh, with uh, Workstation Fusion? I know they track each other. Uh, what's what's happening? What excites you about the space in general? Yeah, so, you know, for folks that might not be aware, it, you know, Workstation, Fusion, and ESX all share the same code. It's the same hypervisor code that runs in the data center, that runs on the desktop, and we ported it to Mac, and, and that's what Fusion is. And so uh, what's great is, you know, we've had to make some, some changes on the kernel side for Windows, particularly to support Hyper-V. Um, and we did that through a project that we have called U ULM, User Level Monitor. And what we did is we took the normal VMM process, the hypervisor process, and instead of running it in root uh, via a bunch of kernel extensions, we run it in user space and call a bunch of APIs that are now provided by the operating system. So Windows has Windows hypervisor platform APIs in, built baked into Windows. And uh, you know Mac has a hypervisor framework as well, and Linux has uh, a similar framework or is looking at potentially doing a similar framework through KVM. So there's um, a lot of cross work that, that, that gets shared, right? So when we did the work to support Hyper-V on Windows, uh, that work ended up being really important for Fusion because it needed Fusion needed to adopt a similar model and, and talk to the operating system APIs. And that's particularly because of Big Sur. Uh, you know, Apple kicked us and, and others out uh, of the kernel. And, yeah. And now we need to do that. So um, that project is one that um, will we're hoping we'll translate back into ESXi to really improve the performance, scalability, and security of the core hypervisor itself. Um, but what's awesome is the people who are working on it are like the most core engineering individuals at VMware, you know, the, that that build the, the crux of the technology that satisfies and sustains our, you know, multi-billion dollar organization. Without, you know, vSphere and ESX, everything, all the layers on top of it would fall apart, house of cards. Um, and maybe less house of cards, but you know. Um, so what's great is a that we can share that work. B we have the, the most brilliant minds in the company working on it. Um, and you know, myself, I'm also on the Photon team, so we also have that running on Raspberry Pis and ARM and things like that. So there's a lot of work that we've done to support the Raspberry Pi and to support the ARM architecture that we were able to. You know, like in the ESXi for ARM Fling, for example, a lot of folks who worked on that are, are working on our project here. Uh, so we're really grateful that we can we can sort of do that, and then we leave the productization aspect of things um, to a different team, to like our U, what we call the UI teams, essentially. Um, so it's been really great working with the platform team, and and it's you know finding like really obscure low-level bugs, and you know when when I would report an issue like oh this is doing this weird thing with like a clock timer and you, you get into the, like the whys of it happening and you're like in suddenly you're in like monitor land and it's you're, you're having to figure out how instruction sets work and CPU registers and things so um, it's certainly a, a, a beast of a challenge but what's been like I said awesome is that we have the full support of the company on it you know the engineering leadership is very much behind it making sure we have all the resources we need and um, and yeah getting to the point now where we've been trying to figure out you know what work do we actually need to do to satisfy a tech preview? You know, now we've got a lot better handle on that. So um, I'm just, I'm super excited about the future. It does dawn on me 
I wonder if Intel, I wonder if Pat sits, I know he invested you know, $40 billion in uh, Texas uh, fabs, right? Trying to do more fabs, more fab capacity. And one of the things that's interesting about ARM, and I'll just get your perspective on this, like, I wonder if Intel will consider making ARM chips for people. They said something to the effect that they wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, I, I can't remember what it was, something to the effect of, you know, them saying we'd be more than happy to build Apple's chips for them. Um, if they can achieve the type of fab process that Taiwan Semiconductor can do and the, the type of scale they can do, great, we need to do that. I think right now there's too many chips concentrated in yeah. two little areas of the world and you know you need to distribute that if you want to have a healthy supply chain. Yeah, that's actually interesting. That, and, and that would be very Gelsinger-like, right? Where, you know, what he tended to do for VMware is any new technology that came along and maybe this sort of grew, it was, it was all of us, the brain trust, is we just give it a bear hug, right? And we go, fine, we'll, we'll take that on too. We have great software engineers. We think we can do that industry better than anybody else. And then we can bring our customers along. So I could see Intel trying to do that, right? Like, hey, we'll fab. We'll fab ARM chips as well. Order your ARM chips here. Somebody has to fab them, right? And yes, you, you compete against uh, TMC. Is it TMC? T, T, TS, TSMC. TSMC. Semiconductor. Yeah. yeah. I'm too busy uh, watching League of Legends teams. There are, Half of them are sponsored by the chip manufacturers, and I can't keep track of which one's which. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just looking at some benchmarks, uh, the i7 latest. Um, was it was a Gen 11 i7 um, versus the M1, and see where Intel kind of cherry picked some of the results. But if you look at the results, some of them vary from from game to game, application to application. But I do do think I do think Apple or um, Intel does have to do something, and I think you know Pat would be the right person to do that. Kind of like you said, Eric, um, Pat always embraced um, change, right? Um, no matter what it was. Yeah. Well, whether you saw it good or bad, uh, he always seemed to, to turn it around um, or benefited uh, the users um, and the company. Right? I think uh, Intel has to do something in that sense, um, like you were talking about manufacturing those chips. Yeah, I would agree that that's something going to happen with Pat, especially with Pat over there. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, I think I, so too. Performance wise, I mean, they got a lot of catching up to do. I mean, I, I'm doing some comparisons with yeah. my i9, like whatever. 2020 MacBook Pro. I'll run a test in a VM, same VM, four gigs of RAM, um, or four CPU, eight gigs of RAM, and I'll run a benchmarking test. And that same test I'll run on Fusion on my M device, and it's almost 10 times faster. Wow. Like 9.4 ish times faster on average. It's stupid fast. <laughs> wow. So one thing that's a kind of maybe an elephant in the room here is that, you know, Fusion cut its teeth on running running Windows on Mac, right? Uh, and I know Windows does have an ARM release, but uh, but we also cut our teeth now on Kubernetes development environments and test environments and things like. So if Windows is not on ARM, yet we're, you know, Apple's moving to ARM, what say you the future of Fusion? In, you know, where, where are we going? Well, the... I mean, Fusion is going to continue to survive. I think it's, you know, if we stop doing Fusion, we stop doing Workstation too, uh, and and that doesn't that's not tenable, right? No one's sure. we, we we use Workstation to test vSphere. That's we, in our internal infrastructure. That's how it works because of the virtue of having the same platform. You know, we use the same tools to, to test it all across the board. So that's that's that. But on the Windows side, the ball is entirely in Microsoft's court here. 
Um, I think it's I think it's terrible that Parallels goes out and actively tells its users to break the Microsoft licensing, and that they themselves actually went out and broke the Microsoft licensing to develop their drivers and things like that. Um, you cannot buy a copy of Windows for ARM right now. It comes on a Surface Book or a Lenovo or an HP device. Um, and, and if you're an OEM partner, that's it. That's who can have it. The, the licensing very clearly states that you can't install it unless it's already, you can't even run the insider builds unless it's already on, unless you already have Windows installed on your physical device. There's yeah. no Macs that have that. So it's, right. I think it's awful. Um, I think Microsoft could very well turn around and say, hey, there's a market here and, and offer a way to do that. Uh, we'd be very happy if they were to do that. We're ready to support the operating system if they up and roll with it. You know, what it takes to boot Linux is not all that different than what it takes to boot Windows, right? So um, I think we're, we're ready to go there, but the ball's entirely in Microsoft's court. And, and again, I just think it's shameful that, uh, you know, the competitors are like, go ahead, break all the rules, who cares? It's like, you're a software company. Why would you tell someone to break software licenses? Right, right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, so they treat Windows, the ARM version of Windows as an appliance, right? Just comes with the hardware, and that's that's what you get. They don't sell it independently. You can't run it on anything besides their appliance that they're selling. And therefore, it, it's interesting. Uh, who's the CEO over there? The guy, he seems pretty sharp. Like, an, What's his name? Satya Nadella. Satya, yeah, that's it. Um, it seems like Satya is pretty sharp, and you know the way he treated Linux, and now they got Unix built right into Windows, and the whole thing is there, and they've kind of embraced that. When he took over from, uh, you know, the last CEO, um, not Gates, but the next one after that, Balmer, uh, he kind of turned the ship and did a pretty good job. I like what they've done. So I would be really surprised if they don't open that up because they were kind of they embraced Unix and Linux that way. They gave it a bear hug, put Linux in uh, in Windows, and you got a full operating system that you can run and use, uh, which is was a shift because he did that. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Like, I mean, there Microsoft wants to protect its interests, extract shareholder value, et cetera. Um, you know, taking a page out of Apple's playbook. You know, the Apple doesn't let you run Mac OS on other hardware. They There's a tight coupling between the hardware and the software. And I think that from a security perspective, this is a really important thing, um, particularly in the enterprise. If you're going to deploy a bunch of devices, there needs to be a, a, a level of attestation and trust throughout the device. Right. And if you don't have that tight coupling of the operating system and the hardware, then, you know, it's hard to, to, to ascertain that the device is allowed to do the thing that it's supposed to be doing. So... When I look at virtual machines, to me, they're they're like developer tools. They aren't things that, you know, all are 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 as persistent as a desktop, for example. And at the same time, um, as a security, you know, as a user of, of products that have a security implication, um, you want to make sure that everything that's inside of your device is legit, right? So, like, as I'm on my personal device, it's like I know I trust Apple and you know, I don't have to worry about it. Linux, I'm installing it myself. That's cool. Windows, I'm getting it from Microsoft. I don't have to worry about it, you know. But it's this this notion that you know that the operating system isn't theirs; that it belongs to the community. Well, it's their operating system. They can choose to do with it whatever they want. And if they want to make a whole new class of devices and lock it down and and do that, then that's that's their play. What I hope that happens is. You know, for developers who want to get applications done, they turn to open source tools and they turn to Linux. And uh, we're, you know, and you can see Microsoft doing the same thing. Windows subsystem for Linux is an attempt to try and woo developers so that you don't have to like, you know, do backflips of the workflow yeah. that you're used to just to get your application to start building in, in Windows environments. So uh, I think that they want to woo developers and they want to make sure that they're they're also protecting their bottom line. 
that makes sense that makes sense so uh topic we're coming up to uh, the last 12 minutes of the show here uh covid is almost done um we're, I think California is opening up June 15th. Uh, what say, Michael Roy? Are you uh, any plans to get out, talk to anybody? Uh, what's your entry back into the real world out of your, your happy studio land? Or are you just going to stay where you are? Not... Yeah, there's a, a beach and a Mai Tai with my name on it somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, booked, a, I booked a trip to Palm Springs. We're going to go to Palm Springs in, in June. Like right when things open back up, we're allowed to be everywhere. June 15th, I think it is. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go there and then flip over to Arizona and just do some really nice warm outside weather. But I'm, I'm struggling with the idea of getting in a plane and going 500 miles an hour because my my max top speed for the last year has been like five miles an hour, right? Like four to five miles an hour is about all I can tolerate. And I'm just not sure that I can, I can, I can, I can get back into that space um but uh i'm, I'm hoping so and I, I guess we'll have to just see how how things turn out are you uh, are you are you looking forward to going back to the real world i'm not sure even vm world this whole thing like getting back in front of people i don't know i'm gonna have to go get some medical help a shrink or something talk talk me through how to turn my brain back on to being outside of my home yeah, it's going to be an adjustment. Like it's, we have a running calendar downstairs, and there's we're on like day four hundred and thirty something or other, I think. And it, you know, we've all adjusted, and we've, you know, there is new normal. Um, it's, it'll be great, I think, when we don't have to be as afraid just to go out and do our normal things and live our normal life. Like I'm, I got my second shot last week. I'm just, you know, I got another week left, and then, you know, fully vaccinated and. And, and then still, I'm I'm still gonna wear a mask every you know if I need to, and, and you know that's just the nature of the game. But I do look forward to you know VM World. I love VM World. You know I hope that we get to go to Barcelona again. Yeah, I guess. I, I, the last thing I did before the COVID lockdown happened was I was in Vegas for Valentine's Day. Um, I would very I can't wait to go back. <laughs> I've never liked going to Vegas, but now I'm just like, please get me in front of those super cheesy slot machines in the old Vegas yeah, 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 and I'll be great. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I I think we all will ease back in. So it's kind of this thing four months ago, if you asked me, I was like super excited. Oh, I can't wait, man. This is going to be great. We're going to come out of this. We're going to get back, back to real life. And now that it's here, I'm like, uh, you want me to jump in the pool? Oh, let me feel the water. Oh, it's cold. I don't know if I would like to. And, and I know once I get in, it'll be great. And we'll all get to do do this again. And uh, I have a feeling it'll snap back to normal. And you'll, you'll just get back to used. I went to Home Depot uh, the other day. And I just had a mask. I didn't worry about dying. I was I was happy, and I bought some stuff, and I did some projects, and it felt like almost normal again. So yes, I wore a mask, but that's about it. I, otherwise, I wasn't worried about dying any longer, right? So, so that's we're cool. almost there. Yeah. The um the only challenge I have is I would I would love to have gone back home to visit my family in Canada, but Ontario right now is having a hard time with the COVID. Uh, yeah. You know, they're yeah, yeah shout out to everybody in AP Asia, you know, in, in India, where everybody's just still going through it. There will be light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, all the countries are just in different different moments of of getting through the pandemic. So, yeah, um, yeah I was talking with a colleague this morning, and uh, you know, he's he's over there, and I hadn't heard from him in a couple of weeks. I was like, everything right? He's like, oh, I had I have COVID. Sorry, I've, I've been out of commission for weeks. I'm better. I'm better now, <laughs> and he's good now. But it's just. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah a lot of people are getting through it, and a lot of people. Have you had your second shot? A lot of people have have had had heavier reactions, especially on with Moderna. I've heard like the Pfizer. Yeah, a lot of guys I know that didn't have a hard time, just sore arms. But Moderna, I have some friends that you know got sick for like four days, four or five days. Were like pretty sick. Same. I felt bad too. Like I didn't think about it at the time, and 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 now I. I, I wish you would have said things a little differently, but you know, when I was out for a couple of days, I had an out of office and then someone in Japan needed something and they emailed me and a couple of days went by and I replied back to them. Hey, sorry, I was, I was out of commission. I had just got my COVID shot and they were flying back out. Oh, must be nice. Like we're not getting ours until sometime next year. I was like, Oh geez, you forget how privileged we are in, in the Bay area in America. You know, there's so many, so many places around the world that, you know, they want yeah. the vaccine. They just, you know, availability is not yeah. there yet. And it is true, as as we would bring this podcast to reality here a little bit. Like, I had never really felt privileged, you know. And the and the privilege movement, I always kind of scoffed at because my dad was a roofer. Uh, I had a roof half my childhood, so like, it was a hard life. And uh, roofing in Florida, it was it's like 102 degrees. If you picked up a tool on the roof, it'd burn your hand. Your hand got super callous. So there was no privilege in my life growing up. And I eventually went to college and did computer science, right? So it was like I clawed my way out of, which was a pretty tough tough way to earn a living, right? So don't call it. When I got my COVID shots, I literally drove home thinking, wow, I'm privileged. This was really Western world. You, you know, you were one of the first set of people that were able to get a shot. And uh, and the relief you feel when you do get the shot, like, like you know, is, is pretty. And you, got, and you got the good one, too. Like if you got Pfizer or Moderna or yeah. Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca, like those are the good ones. There's a bunch of other ones out there that are way less effective. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 and uh, so I do. I do feel, and uh, I I do feel privileged, and it makes me want to do a bit more charity work and a bit more international awareness of you know how to bring international places uh, up to first world status, so that you know that so that we're more of an equal world because I finally felt privileged right and felt bad about being privileged for, for a well it's bit. nice that at least we have the tools that we can have the conversation now whereas at least that wouldn't have been possible 10 5 10 years ago at least yeah i agree with that i agree with that all right well we're we got five minutes left um any other things michael we're going to talk barbecue in one more minute anything else that you want to leave the community do you need the community to do anything for you i know you'll talk to corey about v experts and how they could help out uh, any other things that community members can do yeah um just sit tight be patient um i there's there's one thing i know for sure is you know big sur fusion has nat problems i know Everybody tells me it's supposed to get. Uh, we have a fix internally. We're going to get that out, and hopefully in the next release, top priority um, issues. If you install VPN on the host and instead of a Mac guest or instead of a virtual machine on the Mac, it doesn't work because of Apple's API changes. So mm. we fixed it. We've got an internal working. We're testing. It's it's coming out. Um, I upgrade, the other one is I upgrade one of my machines to Big Sur, and none of my dongles work. Right, like, like the, yeah. or they work, or they they stop, or monitors flash. Like, there's a lot of issues with Big Sur. I went on the boards, and they got a bunch of they got a bunch of stuff that they're they're working on, and they're like, yeah, we're 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 working on fixes. So there are a lot of Big Sur with the security model changes seem to have broken a lot of things. Right. So yeah, and uh, it's it's tough because you rely on APIs that you're given by the hardware and the operating system vendor, and then they don't behave the way that you need them to behave and so it's a year of waiting for those things to get updated the next major release of the operating system and 
putting in workarounds in the meantime. And yeah. If you haven't stuff. upgraded to Big Sur yet, I would like, whoa, don't do like, but the problem is you buy a new machine, you're going to get Big Sur from Apple, right? Like, you know, and, and VMware is upgrading everybody. So your IT, mm -hmm. IT org can decide when you're going to upgrade and you get to upgrade whether you like it or not. So. Yeah, my, my daily driver when it, on my Intel thing is a Mac Mini with Catalina. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So otherwise, well, just uh, stay tuned and we'll go get the tech preview out. And uh, yeah, yeah. thanks, Corey, right. for the invitation to the experts. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, um, thanks, Michael. Tony Foster, Tony Foster, V Barbecue. For everybody, thank you for listening to the end. Tony Foster, uh, you mentioned something about barbecuing uh, last weekend. What was the deal? So, so last, last weekend um, was National Barbecue Week. So, uh, or National Barbecue Day, I'm sorry. Um, it's National Barbecue Month as well, uh, interestingly enough. But... Yes, I, I celebrated National Barbecue Day by barbecuing steak. Steak, always good to go steak. That's right. Well, I've got a I, I, I got a cornfield report. My my cornfield is coming in. I've got uh, seven rows of eight, uh, sixteen corn in each row. So I don't know, seven times sixteen is whatever whatever that is. So I'm I should get a couple hundred years of corn coming out, and they're now foot and a half tall. So in lieu of that, I did barbecue some corn, went and bought some corn and threw it on the barbecue. You can never go wrong with just barbecue and corn takes about 10 minutes. You just rotate it till you get a little charcoal, charcoal brown, light brown, black, depends on how you like it. Pretty good. You can never go wrong with some barbecued corn with uh, on the grill with King, Kings yeah. for charcoal. Love that. Growing stuff. up, I was in a rural, rural area in all cornfields. Big fan of the barbecue corn. <laughs> yeah. I love barbecued corn. Yep. Eric, you taught me uh, years ago on how to barbecue corn with the you know, leaving the outside leaves on, right? You tear them down and you can barely just see yeah, yeah, the husk. And so you can barely just see the corn. And then you put that on. And once the husk turns black, that's when it's ready to come off. And then what you do is you literally just cut the end off and then you just pull the husk right off the corn and it's just ready for butter. But I just got back from Arkansas, and uh, I've got a friend out there who's got a 250-acre ranch, and um, he's got cattle and everything else. Sent me home with a huge cooler full of beef from his from his cattle ranch. Um, so I'm excited to, to barbecue some of that this this weekend, um, next week. Nothing, nothing, nothing beats fresh anything, whether it's fresh corn uh, or fresh cow or whatever. So it's, it's it's always good to get the fresh right. one for sure. All right. Well, we're at the top of the hour. Thanks for listening. Again, go over to uh, youtube.com slash vbarbecue. Give us a like and a follow if you want to. We always are into getting a few more of those every show. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Michael Roy, thanks a lot for being here. Everybody have a great week and go get some barbecue for National Barbecue Month. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.